Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A word of warning: This podcast contains discussions that some listeners may find distressing or triggering. Please use your discretion. Welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather and today I am joined by Sheree Shonian, who is one of the compilers along with Yasmin Walter of the book Love, Bruises and Bullshit. Thank you so much for coming on, Sheree. Thank you so much for having me. So just before we got recording, um, we both held up this beautiful magenta book that's filled with stories of, of people who have gone through abuse and things that are horrible in their lives, but you've made a wonderful compilation of stories within there, one including your own. So thrilled to have you on having read that and having known another contributor to that. Yeah, it's like I feel a bit starstruck. (laughs) silly, but thank you. Your words are very, very kind. (laughs) (laughs) I am really thrilled to have you on. Do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I am a survivor of domestic violence. Um, The reason I say I'm a survivor is because I got out of that relationship and I survived that relationship every single day and I'm still out here surviving. So that's why I kind of use the word survivor instead of victim. Um, So I got into my abusive relationship when I was 16 years old and I stayed for 16 years, Um, so a very long time. And then during that time I did have two children who were now 16 and 13 So when I was in that relationship, I was subjected to all forms of abuse. So physical, sexual, um, emotional, mental, financial abuse, um, just every day on a daily basis. You know, um, the first time he hit me was when we were together for just three months. So it was very early on in the relationship, but everything else sort of started, you know, from the start to get into that. Um, so during that whole time, I was still working full time, raising two children. My family had no idea what I was going through. So I was very isolated and pulled myself away from all my friends and family. Um, and just, I say I should win an, an Oscar, to be honest, with um, 
all of the, you know, something would happen, but I would just paint my face and then just continue going on to hide it all so that nobody knew what was happening in my life. Um, and then eventually about six, going on to six years, I think now, <laughs> um, I left that relationship after being held hostage basically for three days. Just said that was it. I'd had enough and then called my mum. She came and picked me up and then, you know, I stayed on my sister's floor for three months and just had to rebuild myself with my children literally from scratch. So I just walked out of the house with nothing. Um, definitely was hard but definitely worth it. So, yeah, that's kind of my story and cut down. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you are an incredible woman, I think, you know, to even highlight within that, which is just an incredible point to make, I think, as well, being in, you know, you should win an Oscar because yeah. so many survivors have said that, like the personas that you have to put on about being the, the brave mother to the children who has to explain what's happening at home, but also being the person that pretends it isn't going on at work and that, to other family members and making excuses exactly. and being so many things for so many people, you become this person with different personalities almost. That's it. And, and you don't even really live your life. You just survive your life just to make it day through day. And the funny thing is, is I'm actually a pre-primary teacher. So I would go to school and be with five and six-year-olds and have to put on that whole yeah, everything's fine, let's play, let's play with Play-Doh, let's, you know, have glitter everywhere when in my home life was something completely different. Um, and then I worked in my teaching job for about six years and nobody at that job knew what was going on and they were just like, you're so composed when you come to work. And even though, you know, the night before I could have had a major argument or been punched in the face, you know, something like that, you just leave, you literally have to leave it at home and just cover everything up and continue with your day. You also said that this really started from the very beginning when you were 16, that there was violence involved in this relationship. How did this relationship start? How did you meet your um, abuser? I actually met him at a function for the Thai community. They were celebrating the king's birthday. So my mum is from Thailand, so we went with her to this, this function and I'd met him there. We didn't actually start dating until about a year after I had met him. But during that time, you know, he was showering me with gifts and chocolate and really wooing me in a sense. And I really craved that. I really craved that affection and that love and someone, you know, wanting to be with me. And I think that is kind of the reason why I went into this relationship with him because from the age of 10 to, say, 13, 14 or so, my mum was in an abusive relationship. Actually, before 10, my mum was in an abusive relationship. So that when I was nine years old, I tried to kill a grown man for hurting her. I had to grow up very quickly in my childhood as I had to take care of my mother, but also my four younger siblings. You know, so by the time I was 10, I knew how to run an entire household. So I never had that childhood and I never had, you know, the affection from my family because I had to be a mum and I had to do everything and not be a child so when someone gave that to me I was like yes yes this is what I want this is what I need you know being told I love you or someone taking care of you I think that's what made me fall for him for and then that's why I got into the relationship with him and I unfortunately continued that cycle 
with an abusive man, even though I had seen my mum go through it all also. And it's interesting, I guess, as well, because, you know, even from the beginning, even from the story that you said, it's that coercive control power dynamic of, and, you know, you hear it so often from the beginning, there's that love bombing, that giving you everything that you need and mirroring the behaviours that you're saying and and those things. And I think it's important to call out in this stage as well that you were so young. People often think that people who are young and in relationships are not in danger or they don't mean as much or they don't matter as much. You know, like Mm -hmm. people say, you can't be in love, you're only 13, you don't know Mm -hmm. what love is. And it's like, well, they do. They they're in, they love their mother. They love their father. They love yeah. their family members. They love their friends. By invalidating young people's experiences, we're not protecting a portion of the population who are feeling these extreme feelings for other people at yes. different levels during puberty. So that's it. And when we're at a young age, especially like 14, 15, 16, our brains are still developing. So, you know, I was still growing to, and then being with him, my brain was in a sense wired one way. So, you know, the things that he was saying and everything was saying, that's just saw how I thought it was meant to be. So when I actually left my relationship and started getting therapy, my therapist said, we actually have to rewire your brain a different way again because you were so young being in that relationship and coming back to, you know, when people say, oh, you don't know what love is, everybody has love in a different way. We experience it all in a different way. So what someone may be like, no, that's not right. To us it is, especially when we're that young, you know, when we have our first boyfriends and we're in love and they're spoiling us all of that we we do fall in love and I I truly believe and it it is an odd thing to say that abusers are actually very smart in what they do because they do say things to us to make us fall for them and have that control over us so then when we do decide to leave they're like you know you can't live without me and stuff so I say they're smart because they manipulate us in a way to want to be with them forever, even though we know what they're doing is wrong. We just can't seem to break that tie from them that easily. Yeah, it's very sad. It is, but it is an interesting point. And this is something I try and explain to people as well. Like I work my day job in continuous improvement. So improving business practices, for example, And one thing I always say is test and adjust. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what maybe even somebody that's love bombing somebody will do is they'll give you this kind of attention, this kind of affection Mm -hmm. or this kind of gift. And what gives them the biggest and best reaction from you? They will continue to lean into that behavior because they're trying to, you know, and it's difficult for people to understand what love bombing means, but they're not trying to get to know you to create a connection. They're trying to give you things and treat you in a certain way to elicit a behavior from you, which is manipulation to a degree as well. And that's how they refine that because they can see what the reaction in you is like and they can feed into what they believe that you want and things like that too. Exactly. That's it. And that's why I say they're smart because they'll see what they can get from us and how we react and all of that stuff. Or she doesn't like flowers. Okay. I won't get her flowers again, but she loves this. So I'll just keep doing that. And, but it's just one ingredient in the cake. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, it's, it's one thing in the recipe to make this a dangerous place to be in, but it it's one of those things that once you keep adding to it, you know, you can see how profound the abuse can become. So maybe Definitely. on its own love bombing, 
may not be as debilitating, but once you add on all of those different aspects of the different layers of abuse and the different types of things that you're going through, this really does become a comprehensive and really debilitating life. Definitely. And I think um, one of the harder things now also is, you know, a a lot of younger girls um, sort of, you know, when somebody's like their boyfriend says, oh, I don't like you wearing that outfit, they think it of as him caring but, you know, the way he he will say it or he'll deliver it or, you know, he's always calling me and texting me because he cares, but there is a point of when it is caring and then when it becomes control. So I think there's a very, that border between it, a lot of younger girls don't understand. So I think that's why also we kind of fall into those relationships and stay longer because we don't understand the love bombing and the difference between being in love kind of and then being controlled, you know. So that's also another thing which is sad. That we really heavily normalize as well. And I've heard so many men, male dominated podcasts talk about how, you know, they don't want their missus or their the old ball and chain wearing sexualized clothes in public and things. And it's all normalizing this thing that we've got within society where a lot of people believe that they somehow have a right to this this woman and her being and I had an experience in one of my first relationships that I was going through that was serious where he would say to me you know I just think that you look like a hooker or something like that Mm -hmm. if I wore red lipstick or leopard print which I loved and if you've seen my Instagram profile you know it's the majority (laughs) of what I wear so and I would do it and I remember one time saying to my mum oh I'm gonna get a new dressing gown and there was one Mm -hmm. that I wanted from like cotton on body or something and it was leopard print and she mm-hmm. goes, oh, you know, do you want to stoke the fire? Do you really want to start that mm-hmm. fight? I'm like, it's a dressing gown. But it had gotten to yeah. a point where he was so controlling over me wearing anything red or anything leopard print that I was mm-hmm. now thinking and being impacted by that, going to buy a dressing gown. Yes. And it's like, yeah. where are we heading with this? And, you know, that's just one tiny mm-hmm. aspect. I mean, I think he was a controlling partner. It obviously wasn't yeah. to this level. But that's people here they are telling you what to wear and they can't make the connection with how that possibly happened because all they can think about is I wouldn't let somebody control me like that. Yes. And, and I, and you know, when people say, well, why do you let him or whatever? It's just like, sometimes it's just not that easy, you know, like, and, and if you're in a relationship and it is abusive, as I said to you earlier, you do what you do to survive, and it's like, because you know if you speak back, something's going to happen. You, you know the consequences and then sometimes no disrespect to anybody who um, hasn't been in a, an abusive relationship, you know, that's, I'm, I'm so happy that you haven't been, but it's sometimes really hard for someone to say something if you don't have that lived experience. You, you honestly do not know what you're talking about. So but- true. It's so true. And that's it. I mean, you might have experiences with one thing or another thing, but yes. it is. And I think instead of people being like, well, explain it to me, or you do that. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, I think we need to take the accountability now to say exactly. domestic violence is at the levels that it is. We know that. And mm-hmm. you must be living under a rock if you don't know what the statistics look like. Yes. And we know that, you know, on average in Australia specifically, one woman a week is murdered by her current or former partner. We know the statistics. 
So yeah. instead of people sitting there and saying, but why did she stay with him or why didn't she leave? Mm-hmm. Why don't you actually do some investigation into what's going exactly. on instead of leaving it up to us to explain it to you? Because exactly, we're not all idiots. Like we're not all sitting out here complaining about something that we have control over. This is a real mm-hmm. serious problem. And I think there are those people who have said those things to me and I've just gone, you must have a very low opinion of my intelligence if you really think that it was as simple as why doesn't she just leave? Yes. Because yeah. I'm pretty yes. sure we could have collectively all come up with that solution together. Yes. And <laughs> I think what a lot of people don't understand is how difficult it is to leave. It's not simply just walking out the door. You know, it, statistically it can take women up to seven times to try to leave before they successfully leave. And then not to mention how dangerous it is at each time trying to leave. You know, when you when you leave, you, like, for example, when I left, I had phone calls and text messages, um, him showing up at my workplace, finding somehow where my sister lived and showing up at her house going crazy. I got so stressed that I ended up in hospital, you know, and then trying to hide from him so he couldn't hurt me basically again you know so it's not just getting out and leave so you've got the time of leaving when it's dangerous but then um also you know the anniversaries of when you're leaving you know or the times when they have to come to see the children if you still let them see the children so even though you leave it's not just sometimes that simple to cut things off and end it, especially if there is children. And I don't think sometimes people understand how hard it is, especially like, you know, if someone's financially dependent on their partner, they can't just leave because they they don't have funds to go anywhere, they don't have a job, or you can have a partner who's threatening to take the children away. So she, again, stays in that relationship. So that whole thing of why she doesn't leave is there's so many more levels to it than just grabbing your bag and walking out the door very hard <laughs> and it's an insult to women's intelligence I think as a oh, whole definitely. but at the crux of it as well I think we're dealing with the complex emotions of men who yes. you know how many times have you you know been hit on at a bar or been hit on by somebody and you've mm-hmm. rejected them and then they've turned around and called you a fat slut or something exactly. and that's someone that doesn't know you and that's the level of humiliated like fury and humiliation and anger that they're putting towards you as someone that doesn't know you. Exactly. And and it's so quick how they can turn because they'll be like, oh, you're so pretty, let me buy you a drink. And you're like, no, thank you. And then the whole thing changes around and you're like, but hang on, 10 seconds ago because you were trying to get with me, I was all these things and now I'm saying no and not being rude you don't, you, I'm suddenly all these things like myself when I go out and I get hit on, I'm always very polite, you know, because I always feel like I don't know if they're going to stand around in the corner and try to kill me when I leave the, <laughs> the club because <laughs> I was rude to them. I'm just got, I've got a really weird imagination. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm polite, but yeah, just how they can go from, oh, you're so pretty, let me buy a drink to, oh, you're a slut or whatever. And I'm like, what? Like, yeah. And then they just laugh it off and think it's acceptable and that they can. It's not a um, an imagination. Like that's it's a fact that oh. people do do that. And on the top of it, you know, when you add that layer in of being in a domestic abusive relationship, yes. the humiliation that 
one of those men who is an abuser feels by being left by their partner, you know, and it's really difficult to navigate that fury that they feel because they want to take revenge now. Now it's not a negotiation. And this is the other thing that I've spoken to so many survivors about too is navigating this space of the devil you know. So Mm -hmm. I have now left. I'm in danger. He's at my house. He's doing this. Like as you were just saying, you know, he's found you. He's stalking you. Yeah. But, you know, maybe if I go back, I can manage him better from there and I can keep him at arm's length. I think definitely we we learn to read the signs. We learn to what sets him off and how to keep things calm and, and all of that type of stuff, which is, you know, I think why women also kind of go back because they're like, okay, I know, you know, if I do this, then he won't react that way, which is really sad because it's it's not us that is creating the violence we're not being the violent people but yet we have to do things so differently because we're trying to survive and not be hurt or protect ourselves or protect our children and you said earlier that you know when you're managing these things you're managing consequences as well so you know that an action may have a consequence so when you first started this relationship and the the abuse began did you feel like your actions or actions that you had done had caused a consequence from him? Is that how the physical abuse for you started? Um, so the the first time um, that he had um, hit me across the face was, as I said, three months into our relationship, I um, had a little boyfriend <laughs> before him that had um, got me a mobile phone on a plan. So we were at a friend's place one night and the ex who got me the phone had called me to say, you know, the phone bill's coming, you need to pay it. And I said, okay, no worries, send it to me and I will pay it. And that was literally the conversation. So my partner, the the ex that was abusive, had come out and had asked me who I was talking to and I said it was him because he was calling because of the phone. So he actually grabbed the phone out of my hand and smashed it on the floor and then had hit me. So saying if I had done anything in that sense to deserve that, no, because I was, I mean, I don't deserve to be hit full stop, but, you know, there was, I didn't provoke, it was nothing like that to get that kind of reaction, you know, where other times um, I still know that I'm not to blame and it's not my fault because I'm not the abuser. But back then, you know, I could have a very sharp tongue and I would sometimes say things to cause a reaction. But then there were also times when I would just be doing absolutely nothing and he would come home angry or something wasn't done um, that would get that kind of reaction of him so I remember do you remember one time I cooked dinner and he didn't like it so he chucked it off the table and smashed the plates and threw plates and glasses against the wall and that was just because he didn't like the dinner and instead of like saying well I don't really like this or whatever it just blew up that's awful and I I didn't mean like what what had you done to to deserve that you know I mean in the sense of in his mind clearly he probably wants to exert some power and control over you for something yes, um exactly in in that sense of you know well in the instance with the phone it would be don't talk to him anymore you're my girlfriend so you shouldn't be speaking to to him in that sense so 
I guess, hitting me from talking to him was to show me this is what's going to basically happen if you do this again. And then if you were to speak to another person again, this is what it would go. And it's really interesting because that's quite an extreme reaction to have so early on in a relationship over, you know, to be that possessive and then to have the audacity to be that aggressive and retaliatory and physical to you so early on like that's that must have been awful for you what was that like um but I went into shock um to be honest because I'd never been slapped in the face even by my mom or my dad or my siblings well you know when you have your (laughs) your sibling little tips you know so I'd never been hit in the face before so that was I can still remember it was a it was stinging it's it was a stinging sensation and my whole face was just felt like it was on fire so I, I went into shock and then I went into shock but also adrenaline kicked in at the same time so I kind of we were in the courtyard when all this was happening so I ran into his friend's apartment and was like you know guys help me he's hit me blah 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 and they kind of all just looked at me like what the heck like I was an alien that had landed in their lounge room. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So then I was, like, shocked and scared and on adrenaline and, like, what the heck's everybody not helping me? So then he actually came into the room, um, like, into the apartment, and then one of his friends was like, no, 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 you can't do this, like, get out. So then I tried running 
out and run away, but I was you know, a 40 minute drive from home. So I couldn't even get home because I didn't have, I wasn't driving. I didn't have my license. So I had to sit, you know, just on the side of the road in tears and with my face feeling on fire and just not knowing what I was going to do, where I was going, how I was going to get home. And then he came um, and sat next to me and, you know, he did the whole, I love you, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean it, I promise I'll never do it again and all of that. I guess I never really, I believed him, I guess, at that time. I was like, yep, yep, he's, this is it, this is not going to do it. And But even though I knew, like deep, deep down I knew it was wrong and I should leave then, I still didn't. Like I kind of was like, no, he, maybe, he, he really does love me and he really does care for me. So it was kind of like a mixture of all emotions um, and everything, like all in one big ball. Because I do remember when I went home, um, I did start to panic because I was like, what am I going to tell my mum um, what's happened to me? So I actually just told her I got hit in the face with a soccer ball because I already had a, a golf-sized lump on my cheek right here and my whole eye had already started changing to, to literally be a black eye. So my kind of my panic of what he was going to do from, to me or whatever got swished away when I was like, oh, my God, i got to lie to my mum. i got to try to cover this from my mum and cover this from my dad. So then that kind of took over and then I think that's when I feel I really lost a part of myself in that sense from that day of um, who, I, who I really was before that had happened. And it sounds really like, you know, he's, he's, he's saying sorry, he's never going to do it again and all of that. Mm-hmm. But you've also got the response from your friends who are in that yeah. room in that situation too, who are playing a huge part in your reaction as well because yes. you're going in there guns blazing being like, help me. Help me. Their response yeah. is to go, no, and that must have been so. Are you thinking in your mind then like, am I overreacting? Have I yeah. over? played this somehow exactly and it was like oh like is this normal like do you all think this is normal like for it to happen because you know like a lot of abuse happens behind closed doors and so when it comes and presents itself in your face and you see that evidence right there and you're still going to be like nah it's just like oh so this is nothing to you guys you think it's normal and then you know it actually did become kind of normal, I guess, um, in that friendship group as the years went on. Everything was just swept under the rug, even though they would see me with bruises or he would hurl abuse and everything to me in front of everybody. And they all just kind of let it slip. So there was never a point when anyone was like, hey, no, stop. You know, like my nickname used to be Piggy, you know, to the point where even his friends thought it was okay to call me that. It was all just normalised and, you know, I would never dare speak up because I did one time and got a punch to the head. So then I just stopped because I was like, if I continue, then I'm going to continue getting hurt. So I'd rather just say nothing and not get hit, basically. It's really shocking to hear that there are people who are witnessing this and they aren't doing anything about it. Yes. But I wonder if that kind of comes down to also maybe their lived experience or lack of an experience or ideas about men and women in relationships or something. But also I wonder if they're all standing there watching this happening, is this 
like a bystander effect where they're looking around kind of going, well, no one else is doing anything. So Yes, I, and I think that it, it was part of that as well. Like, you know, I don't want to interfere because he's my friend and I don't want to lose that friendship or I don't want to have a punch up with him or I don't want to have an argument with him. So I'd rather just say nothing and just keep that friendship and it's their relationship, it's their business, they can do it. So I definitely believe that was a part of it because um, in the group we did have um, one couple who, who got married and unfortunately six weeks into their relationship um, he had hit her. She left straight away and I was encouraging her to leave. I was like, get out now, leave right now before it gets any worse. It was the first time he'd ever done anything like that. And, yeah, she left and I was like her biggest supporter and her fan saying, yeah, leave, leave, leave. All the while I was still staying in my abusive relationship, um, you know, so I was trying to get her out before anything else had happened. Um, so I think that was the only time I really ever spoke out in, in that whole group, really. And did you feel maybe like it was don't get out before you get in as bad as I am or what yes. were you feeling in yeah. that moment? She was one of my friends and, yeah, I, I didn't want her to go through what I was going through because I knew what I was going through and how it was affecting me and how hurt and broken and sad I was. I didn't want my friend to go through that. So, you know, if I could help her, I wanted to help her. You know what I mean? Like, and I had that experience and I was like, yeah, you know, nobody ever really, even to this day, knows the extent of everything I went through. You know, there are still things that I'm not ready to share, even though I've left that relationship six years ago, you know, but I knew what I knew from my experiences and I, I couldn't bear to even think that she could even possibly be going through the same thing that that I was going through. So, yeah, I just didn't want her to be hurt and be broken because I was a very, very broken person back then. And it's just so sad to highlight that there were so many points of intervention or help for you where you didn't have yourself there to support you and really get you over the line or help you leave. That's It's just disappointing that that was, I guess, the frame that you were given from the very beginning um, and yeah. it's not their fault. We're not saying that, you know, this, yes. is, it's a part of the um, ecosystem that mm-hmm. kind of supports the patriarchy and supports this male dominated way and supports you staying and supports him continuing his behavior. Yes, that's it. I mean, like my family did um, at one stage ask me if he was abusing me and, as you know, usually survivors just um, and victims go into the defensive mode. Well, what are you talking about? No, no way. No, it's not like that. You know, you're crazy. And I went into that mode, so they never pushed it again. You know, um, it got to the point where we would have family functions and I would cancel last minute saying I have a headache or I have a migraine and they would FaceTime me and say, show me your face show me your body because I didn't believe that I was unwell. Sometimes I was unwell and then other times obviously I, you know, had a black eye or whatever, but I got so good at, you know, putting on foundation and going to certain parts of the house where lighting was different so I could hide my bruises and just be like, oh, the light's really bad here, you know, and then they just kind of, I guess, supported me the best that they could by being there if I ever needed them and then never 
pushing, pushing me um, until I was ready, which unfortunately was 16 years later um, because for so long I was, you know, it, it, it's my, my relationship, it's my thing and um, you don't, you know, I don't want your support and just be defensive because I was trying to hide my shame and my embarrassment from what I was going through. But I also kind of believed that he was the devil and I could deal with the devil myself and I could deal in the hell myself. So I didn't want to bring anybody else into it. I know what's going on and I'll just keep what's going on. Yeah, yeah that, the devil you know, you know, they don't understand yeah. what his ticks are. You live with him every day. You know yeah. what his behaviours are. You know what causes a reaction and, you know, you're the only one that knows how to manage him. So it does completely make sense in that sense. It's yeah. it's difficult for people to get, but it is something that you can see, you know, I think even if you've grown up in a in a family dynamic where it's even not abusive, but you know what's going to piss your, one of your parents off. You know yes. what you can do to push their buttons kind of thing. And it's the exact same yes. instincts that you have with somebody. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. You were in this relationship. You started it so young. Did it progress quite quickly to becoming very serious when you're from that young age or was it, what was that like when, as it progressed through? Because we were both still in school. So that was probably one of the saving graces for me for the first year or so because I was still going to school. So, you know, I could only see him on the weekends. But then once we finished school, we kind of saw each other a little bit more. Um, I moved out of home at 19 and moved in with him. So it was about two years into our relationship. But from when I was 16 until I was 18, I was never allowed to stay out. So I wasn't sleeping at his place or nothing. So I was always coming, going out and then coming home, going out and coming home. And then when I turned 18, I was kind of sleeping out here and there. Um, But then I went back, I went to beauty school. So I was again studying so I wasn't able to stay you know I wasn't staying with him like seven days a week and then I finished beauty school and got a job and then that's when we got our place so then that's when we moved in and then that's guess when more control started happening because I wasn't going home to mum at the end of seeing him after you know we'd gone out and whatnot I was going to work coming home going to work coming home um so then yeah at that age it everything escalated very quickly Um, and then that was when I was 19 and then when I was 21 we had our first child so the first five years we'd already you know in a sense it's kind of long but it's kind of short (laughs) and at the same sort of time we'd you know moved in together had having a baby together and that type of stuff so I think the more like the first few years it was kind of like that love bombing that puppy love and in the honeymoon kind of phase um yeah and then that kind of disappears (laughs) yeah and you said that it escalated quite quickly when you got into that normal adult type routine where you didn't have the oversight of other family members I guess as much in your life as well what did that escalation for you look and feel like yeah so it definitely got a lot more violent in you know the sense of no one was there, so I can just do what I want to do. You know, like you can scream, but nobody's going to hear you, you know, hand around your neck or whatever. Um, and then I guess sexually as well because it was because you're there, you know, and then you don't say no because, again, you don't want to be hurt. And then 
you know, obviously raped, I guess. So you just go along with with what happens. And then financially I had a full-time job. So, you know, I was always having to make sure that there was food for him to eat, that rent was paid, all the bills were paid. This is me as a 19, 20-year-old, you know, again, having to run an entire household. Um, but, you know, I was working full-time or, and he wouldn't be. So whatever money I had automatically, I guess, became his money. Um, towards the very end of our relationship, he would hold on to all my bank cards and I would have to ask money, ask permission for money when it was me earning the money. Um, and then he got, you know, a very bad gambling habit. So then um, I used to have to sit up at midnight and transfer money from one account to another account so he wouldn't gamble it all away and that we couldn't buy food and things like that. So that just kind of all, yeah, escalated um, and got worse and worse to the point, you know, like it was just I was sitting there doing nothing and then something would just happen because he'd remember something that happened ages ago and he's like oh I haven't finished with you with that and I'll be like well that was like a month ago and you just want something so and I'm here so you're just going to do whatever you like and it's you know that aspect of him taking your money is financial abuse Mm -hmm. as well and yes something that people don't really speak about very often is the financial Mm -hmm. side of these crimes and it seems like he was kind of like you know his time his wage or whatever is going to go on him and then yes. yours is also going to go on him. So what's mine is mine. What's yours is mine. Yours is not yours. Yeah, definitely. And and it was, you know, really bad because during those whole 16 years, I worked full time pretty much. The only time I had off was a year from when I had my daughter. So I was constantly working and he wasn't. So, you know, it was the whole you go to work and I'll just sit here and not even look after our child. My child still had to go to daycare, you know, and it was just just whatever. I've just spent everything. So, to, like, financial abuse, I had to get all credit cards in my name, car loans in my name, bills in my name. So nothing was ever put in his name. So if a bill wasn't paid because I couldn't afford it because we had no money, it would go on my record. So, you know, I, I, I walked out of that relationship, as I said, six years ago, and I just finished paying off a bill about three months ago. And then I've got a, uh, I'm pretty sure I still have a black mark against my name. So it's made it difficult for me to even want to buy a house or to get a car loan or to get a credit card because of everything that had happened when I was with him. You know, it's, it's not get a credit card, use it, and I'll pay it. It's let me get a credit card, use it, and then you deal with it. I don't care if you pay it or not, but if you want your name to be okay, I guess you're going to have to pay for it, even though I've spent 10 grand or whatever on there. And it's so abysmal, and I'm hoping that these are the laws that start to change. I know that banks and stuff and government agencies are potentially mm-hmm. trying to do more, and when Kathy Oddie was on here as well, she spoke specifically about that and having to continually pay off these things because these banks are not aware, I guess, or don't have policies in place. It's kind of black and white in that sense. It's in your name, therefore it is your money. Exactly. It's your yeah. responsibility. Yes. And, and and that's a hard thing as well because, you know, at times I have to say, well, I've been in an abusive relationship. This isn't my debt. I had to do it. And they're like, oh, oh, well, you need to pay it. We'll stop the interest, but you still need to pay it. And I'm like, okay, like, what what can you say? You can't do anything. You just, if you want to move on your life, unfortunately, you, you have to pay 
which is really sad. But one of the laws that I, I'm very, very happy that came out was the tenancy law. Um, so, you know, if you need to leave in your home because of a, um, domestic violence, you can leave and not be penalised, even if your name is still on the lease, um, which is really good because, again, you know, and all of the house leases we had were in my name and I couldn't leave because I was like, what's going to happen to the house? And then I won't be able to get a house later on. So when I, and this, this is a story. So when I actually did leave my partner, we were in a house and um, I called my, and the rent was paid up to date for, to when I left. And the next day I left, I called my real estate agent and told him everything. He's been abusing me. I've left, blah, blah, blah. She was a very beautiful lady, very understanding so my name got taken off the lease from that date. No, sorry, no, it didn't get taken off the lease. It was still on there, but she had a record that I had called her that rent was paid up to date. So he continued to stay in that house and he racked up $20,000 like damages, rent not being paid, everything, so that the house owners, um, they were able to claim back on insurance what he had done, hadn't, hadn't paid, but the insurance company summoned me to court um, because my name was still technically on the lease. Um, but I was lucky enough that my landlord had written something saying, well, she contacted me here and the rent to that day was paid up. So, you know, I wasn't um, part of it. But the only thing that I had to do was give up my bond, which was like $2,000. Um, so I was like, okay, you can have that truth. I knew I was never going to get it back anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, you can take that $2,000 and I won't have nothing to do with this this $20,000 debt. So when this new law came out, I was like, it's that's fantastic because, you know, you can get out a lot easier and, again, not worry about what's going to happen to the house and I'm going to be in trouble and, and all of that type of stuff. And it's one of those other un unknown and unspoken about consequences after you leave. So any bets that he thinks that you're still on the lease and yes. he's just racking this up to try and throw your name through the mud. Exactly. You've got this incredible amounts of debt that you're, you've still only just paid off, which congratulations, mm -hmm. by the way, because it's a huge Thank achievement. You. It is. Um, it's a very big one. <laughs> yeah, it's freedom from now being like this has taken you six years and you've still had this constant thing, constant yeah. reminder, constant thing that you cannot let go. And that's, exactly. you know, these are the things people do not understand and see. And yes, just incredible that you're here and you're being able to speak about it in this way because, mm -hmm. you know, six years isn't that long ago. It's not, yeah, when, when you look back. And, um, you know, I mean, definitely proud of myself as to where I am at now and how I am but you know I still have my moments where I'm like you know how how could I stay that long how what you know all of that who why what what was I doing what was I thinking you know all of that stuff but then I do have to step back and remind myself of where I was to where I am now yeah and what an incredible change that's been and for yourself as well <laughs> when that started to escalate and progress and then you said that you had your first child when you were 21 mm -hmm. was there anything that changed in the dynamic of bringing a child into this relationship at the start he he did change you know very doting on me and, and his daughter very loving but it didn't last long he kind of just went back to who he was you know he he also had a drug addiction so it started off with marijuana and then progressed onto the the much harder stuff um he's still a drug addict very quite bad 
And so nothing, nothing like he was good and then he kind of just something switched in his head again and then he kind of just went back to who he was. Um, not as bad physically, I would say, for the first couple of years after my daughter was born and then it progressed, um, you know, like when she was asleep or behind closed doors, but there was always some form of name-calling and put-downs, you know, that, that type of stuff. And what was it like for, you know, the children in that relationship as well? Was he loving and caring to them? Like was it um, there's this amazing caring father to them but then to you he's, you know, Dr Jekyll, Mr Hyde type thing? Yeah, um, I wouldn't say he was an okay dad to them. Um, never never hit them, never, you know, was never abusive to them at all in that sense. Um you know, but wouldn't I sometimes would play with my son and just get that little bit rough, if, you know, like too rough or, you know, play with my daughter and sometimes get that little bit too rough, if you know what I mean, like nothing like on purpose or trying to hurt them but just didn't understand, like, okay, that that's too hard. Um, the children were scared of him, though, if he yelled or, or um, you know, made a loud bang um, to the point that for quite a few years of my son's early um, years, he was quite scared of loud noises or um, when people raised their voices because obviously that had reminded him of what was going to happen. Um, my children have seen him hit me and have fights in front of me and call me names and, and all of that stuff. Like they've witnessed it all. So that's why I'm, I guess, okay to speak about it because they know it all. They've seen it all firsthand. So everything I'm saying isn't it's in a lie, um, but, you know, he was never one of these awesome dads that you see, I guess. Yeah. yeah, and it's just a facade anyway, and I think you could say as yeah. much as he wasn't physically abusing them, he's still mm-hmm. making them in the presence of abuse, and that's not exactly. because of anyone other than him. Exactly, yeah. And and then, I, you know, it took me a while to actually realise that, though, because my son actually turned around one day and was like, oh, is daddy a drug addict? And that was from him hearing me yelling and saying it to his dad that I was like okay my kids are being subjected to my abuse of hearing and seeing that in some way I'm abusing them you know emotionally and and mentally because they can hear everything that I'm saying you know and and you know there was a study done that when you put children inside a bedroom or outside and tell them to go into a different room where they can't see you it can be worse because their imaginations make things so much worse than what is actually happening so it puts a lot more fear I mean obviously we don't want them to see it but what goes on in their heads um is is 10 times worse so because you can hear everything that's happening but you just can't you can't see it Absolutely. And if your only reference points as a child are extremes of things, so like mm-hmm. a drug addict might be somebody really disheveled in a movie or something and the association that they're making, that must be quite mm-hmm. distressing. Yeah. And, you know, he was like four or five. So he would have no idea what that is. But just me saying it all the time, he was just like, oh, that must be something bad because mum's always saying it. So I'll just ask her. So that him saying that to me was one of my, my turning points of, I guess, preparing myself to eventually leave as well. 
All right, lovely listeners, thank you so much for listening to part one of my interview with Cherie. Now, we will be back on Tuesday next week with part two of her incredible story. In the meantime, if you go into the uh, show notes for this episode, if you jump onto Cherie's social media as well, you'll be able to find links to purchase her book. So if you can show support for our wonderful Cherie and the other survivors who join the podcast by purchasing the materials that they provide, that would be a wonderful way to help support these incredible survivors in sharing their story further. Don't forget, please rate, review um, on all of the apps, anywhere that you possibly can. It really helps me to get the word out as well. So thank you so much. And we'll see you next week with part two. This content may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners. In Australia, for national crisis support, please contact Lifeline on 131114. For more resources, please see the show notes for this episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.